This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. Jason Bierce is the Vice President of Education and Workforce Development for the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. Jason spent his early professional career with the Indiana Department of Education and Indiana Commission for Higher Education, serving as the Senior Associate Commissioner at the Commission for Higher Education. Jason earned a bachelor's degree from Purdue University and his MBA from WGU Indiana, and his involvement in the community has included serving as the board president for an Indianapolis charter school and a mentor through the Starfish Initiative. So Jason, I want to thank you for taking time to be with me today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. Uh, So uh, we're talking about workforce development and initiatives through the Indiana Chamber today, and most economic development professionals in Indiana are very well aware of how critical a trained workforce is to uh, the health and the productivity of our business sector. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Chamber's strategies and priorities around workforce development and what you see as some of the general challenges and opportunities on the horizon for our workforce. Sure. Well, again, thanks for being here, and uh, I look forward to engaging with you in this conversation. So yeah, a couple years ago, the Chamber announced this new umbrella initiative that we called the Institute for Workforce Excellence, which was subsequently established as a nonprofit subsidiary of the Chamber. It has both a governing board and an advisory council made up of key stakeholders spanning business, community, education, and government. And you know, to your point at the outset, what led us to that was one, consistent feedback from our members that, you know, workforce-related issues, you know, the quantity or quality of the talent supply was really either at the very top of their list or certainly on their short list of, of concerns. And of course, again, I don't need to tell you and, and, and your listeners that, you know, this is a, an area of concern that spans all, all geographies, all localities, all industries, all business sizes. And so it kind of really led us to think about how we as a statewide chamber of commerce, like what value added could we um, provide in this space. It's sort of an intermediary or connecting point between you know, the public and private sector. In a funny way, um, what we've observed is just as many, many of our members um, become members of the Indian Chamber because they rely on us to be their advocate in policy circles, you know, most uh, business leaders don't have the time or the wherewithal to you know, spend their days tracking legislation um, at the Indiana State House, let alone out in D.C., and they often rely on us, um, if not entirely, at least in, in a, in a complementary fashion to their own like government relations um, capacity, you know, to sort of advocate on their interests and let them know when something's coming, you know, down the pipe that um, is relevant to them and their concerns. And what we've, we've come to observe is there's a very similar need in the workforce development space. We find that um, employers, whether they're members of the chamber or not, generally fall in a couple of groups, um, one, of, one of which is they, they have little knowledge or awareness of what all the variety of workforce-related you know, training programs, services, um, grants, et cetera, what those are, or they have some awareness of what those um, offerings might be, but they're unclear on how to go about navigating. To say nothing of you know, a general reluctance from the private sector to engage, um, you know, with government um, programs because there's a general recognition or at least a perception that you know, it's going to involve a lot of, you know, bureaucratic red tape and the like. And so 
we think we're well positioned and, you know, as a statewide you know, business association to kind of help come alongside employers in particular, but certainly groups um, like your association that, that work closely with employers um, to, you know, how can we help um, those communities and constituencies better navigate that workforce development space in much the same way that we try to help um, uh, you know, our members and the business community at large navigate the policy space. And so really that is kind of where we're focusing our time um, kind of in three overarching areas. One, partnerships, you know, how can we strengthen, you know, intentional talent pipeline partnerships that span business, community, education, government. The second is one I kind of already talked about, which is, and, and we're, and I know we'll get into this in greater detail uh, during this conversation, you know, what are tools or services we can provide to help Hoosiers, particularly employers, better navigate this ever-expanding wealth of talent program providers and find what's relevant to them, what's a good fit for their needs. And then the last um, point, which I've also sort of referenced is in the policy and practice space, you know, what can we do to inform workforce policy, you know, through research, through our employer surveys, which I think we might get into in a bit more um, fashion, and also strengthen that kind of feedback loop between the public and private sector. You know, as I said, a lot of programs out there, a lot of great resources out there, how do we, as you know, the business community, go about providing coherent feedback to whoever's offering you know those programs and services so they can get better and more relevant over time? So I know that was a lot, but that's sort of in a nutshell, kind of what we're intending to do um, at the chamber um, and through our institute for force excellence. And there's some moving parts under that hood, but at a high level, that's kind of what we're trying to accomplish. So, so talk a little bit. So you've talked about uh, the formation of the institute. Um, and, and talk a little bit about kind of from your perspective right now, we're all dealing with this, but what's the, the view of the Indiana workforce uh, right now on behalf of your members? What do we see as some of the, the critical challenges with the workforce right now that you're hoping to address long-term through some of the programs at the Institute? Sure. sure. Well, let's start with the good news, which is, you know, after a, a pretty rough couple of years, which again, don't need to remind you and your listeners what we've been through, um, that employers are back in a place where they're ready to grow again. Um, you know, we, um, as I said, we just released our, our annual employer workforce survey just last week, and we found that almost 60% of employers um, said that they were in a position to grow the size of their workforce over the next year to two, which is um, a 17 point bump from where we're at um, just just a year ago. So shows that um, you know that's the good news. The bad news is that the supply of qualified talent just isn't there right now. And whether that be because you know there's a mismatch in terms of the skill level that folks in the workforce have versus what employers are looking for, or um, it's just a matter of there aren't as many people in the labor force as there were you know a couple of years ago. And there's you know a, a, there's a few trends driving that. Um, certainly, we're still experiencing, um, you know, the implications from, from COVID. There are people that stepped out of the workforce and have been reluctant to return. That's a question of whether they're going to, in the, you know, over the next several months or not, or whether they've migrated to other industries or just kind of doing a, a wait and see. We've, we've heard about this great resignation where there's significant numbers of um, individuals who um, are resigning their jobs without another position waiting, which is in past years, not something you would have seen. Um, you know, we know we have, um, you know, a declining population generally with you know, a lot of baby boomers heading to, re to retirement. So it, it and there's something I sort of referenced, but didn't intentionally say, we know we have a particular um, pain point with respect to women in the workforce um, that, you know, what has emerged among all other issues at the top of that list 
is, you know, the implications of childcare and the lack thereof. Um, and, you know, some, some individuals, particularly women have, you know, pulled out of the workforce in part to, you know, um, you know, focus on their you know, family and child responsibilities. So there's, there's multiple areas where we as a business community need to be active. Um, you know, one about making sure that we're sending real clear signals um, to the state about, you know, where our, our training priorities are in terms of you know, skilling up or reskilling the workforce, but also increasingly um, seeing what the, you know, the business community's role is in addressing some of these related workforce challenges that, you know, realistically speaking, a decade or so ago, weren't really even part of the conversation. I mean, certainly childcare, early childhood has been, you know, an issue in the past that's come up, but I don't know that it was ever at the top of the, you know, the list from the employer community. Likewise, you know, the top three that come up again and again, other than childcare are housing and transportation. And that's being felt in different ways, um, to different degrees across the state. But, you know, I don't think five or 10 years ago that those three topics um, were something that people even necessarily thought about in a workforce development context, let alone as um, in our employer survey um, uh, uh, validated this, you know, those were the top three areas that we heard from, you know, the, the nearly thousand employers that participate in a workforce survey is the, the top three external factors impacting their ability to attract and retain talent. You know, the uh, lack of availability or accessibility or affordable affordability of childcare, healthcare, childcare, healthcare is on that list too, but uh, childcare, housing and transportation. And just to put that in context, you know, the, the other things that we've heard about increasingly in recent years is one, you know, kind of quality of place um, and also, you know, broadband. Um, and, and those are certainly real significant challenges. I think employers are really thinking about, you know, the workforce implications, but on the scale, you know, it was, you know, 20, 25% were saying that, you know, childcare, housing and transportation, the top of the list, in contrast to like, you know, eight, 9% that were saying that quality of place or, you know, um, high speed, you know, broadband access. And we know all those are challenges, but just to give you a sense of kind of the, the priority list or the, um, you know, how widespread the issue is, it, it's definitely changing the look of the workforce. And it's also changing maybe the recognition on the part of employers that about, you know, what sandboxes we're going to have to play in in order to, you know, really, um, you know, attract and retain, you know, workers for, for, for the long term. So, and I appreciate all of that. And I think one of the things that that we keep trying to deliver from the economic development sector, the message is um, the the evolution that we've seen in the last, you know, maybe ten years uh, is the real competitive advantage that that states and communities have is no longer necessarily cheap land. It's no longer uh, uh, low cost of doing business because a lot of places can can do that and, and level that playing field. The real competitive advantage becomes talent and workforce, and that becomes the differentiator. And I think that's why uh, that's a message that isn't always getting through to some of our boards and some of our elected officials, but I think that's why your efforts at the Indiana Chamber around uh, uh, the Institute uh, is critical because you've been thinking for a long term about, you know, some of those building blocks for our workforce. So let's go back uh, to, to, to your work with the Institute for Workforce Excellence. And let's talk about some of the programs that you have within the Institute uh, that you've been operating and how you hope that those are going to have some impact. Uh, 
So I'm going to take uh, each one of these uh, at, a, at a time and let you talk a little bit about what, what is your intention, uh, what you're trying to do to, to have an effect. And I'm going to start with, uh, pro this may be something that's relatively new, but the road to recovery business reopening. Sure. Well, we've been providing a, a lot of resources um, to employers, sort of on the front end of the pandemic. Um, you know, just you know, how do you navigate the you know the, the the PPP loans to you know all the various mitigation strategies with COVID. And you know, now we kind of have a, a policy blueprint of things that that you know we see um, as as necessary changes to kind of get um, you know Indiana's economy back on track. Unfortunately, um, you know, to the legislature's credit, um, they moved a, a couple of those things along. One was liability protections for employers that, you know, were doing the right things uh, in terms of, you know, providing a, a, a safe and, you know, um, uh, as, as safe as possible under these constantly changing times relative to COVID um, and protect them from, you know, unnecessary lawsuits. And that was, you know, something that um, the legislature um, took us up on. Certainly big time investments, um, which I know that, you know, um, your association well aware of, you know, opportunity in the horizon with these ready grants that are you know, coming to the fore. So I think, um, and, you know, we've also seen some significant increases um, in education and workforce uh, funding, all of which, you know, we were strong advocates for. I think, you know, Indiana probably hasn't gotten enough credit for how intentional it's been in the last few years and trying to skill up its workforce, but do so in a, in a targeted way. Um, you know, some states have gotten a lot of attention for what they call free community college, our neighbors in Tennessee in particular. Um, but I think Indiana, uh, one, you know, we're one of the most generous need-based states in the, in the country as it stands. And um, for somebody with, you know, uh, limited economic means, there's any number of opportunities to, to get skilled up in Indiana normally. But um, I assume your listeners are aware of the, the state's next level jobs program that provides these you know, tuition-free certificates to individuals and also reimbursable training um, for, for employers. Um, but what's maybe different for Indiana compared to how some other states have done is there was, you know, an attempt to make sure that we're prioritizing sectors of the economy that are, you know, already growing and could grow more um, and, you know, that are experiencing, you know, a shortage um, of, of high-skilled workers. And I'm specifically talking about industries um, like advanced manufacturing and you know, business and IT services, healthcare, um, transportation, logistics, building construction, you know, these are all areas where there are, you know, literally tens of thousands of jobs available, but um, in Indiana right now, but there just aren't, you know, enough, um, you know, credential trained workers in each of those areas. So I think, you know, to the state's credit, they've, they've doubled down on that, they invested um, in, a, in a bigger way. Um, and, you know, those are just a few of the areas from a policy perspective that, you know, we're, you know, looking for opportunities to kind of keep 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 moving that, that needle. Um, you know, a couple of the things that um, we're working on that are kind of under the, the umbrella of the Institute. Um, one, we, we recognize that, there, you know, part of this is, is a messaging challenge. Um, and, you know, what, and that almost across the board, there's a desire from, you know, the public sector is, you know, uh, in, in terms of employers being more deeply engaged in, in various ways but also we've got to do a better job of communicating what that looks like, um, whether it be, you know, just helping to paint the picture for you know, where our labor market is and where there are opportunities in terms of untapped talent pools, whether that be um, employers speaking in a more coherent voice around the competencies and skills that they most desperately need. So we can feed that information um, back to 
um, you know, governments and education providers that are, you know, got programs in the pipeline. They're looking to align those whenever possible with the industries of need. And then, um, you know, as I said, we're really also doubling down on our efforts to provide actionable intelligence from, from the employer community. I mentioned that, you know, historically for um, over a decade now, in fact, I think this year was the 14th year we've done our annual employer workforce survey. Um, we're looking to not only sustain that effort, but also expand it, um, doing um, more targeted um, workforce-related surveys and research um, um, from the employer community on specific you know, high need topics. One that we know we need to drill down more on is, um, you know, I've mentioned this kind of a few times in passing, but there's a lot of um, state programs out there that employers have very little knowledge about to, to say nothing of, you know, we need more information about, you know, those who have engaged with, the, with those programs, um, you know, where, you know, to what degree do they meet the, meet the need, to what degree do they need to be improved. We just don't have much in the way of actionable information in that regard. Another area that we know is come up again and again in conversations and there, there's increased policy um, pressure on the education sector, both at the K-12 level and the post-secondary levels around different forms of meaningful work-based learning. And we've seen a pretty significant jump of employers that are looking to get engaged in that space um, more so than have been in the past, but we know that there's also likely um, a big gap in terms of the number of individuals, you know, students and current students in the pipeline to say nothing of, you know, career changing adult type individuals that, you know, that might be a very good way for them to kind of get on the path to, you know, one of these, you know, um, high value, you know, career paths. Um, but it would also be a good way to get their foot in the door. But we know that there's more that needs to be done in terms of building out our capacity, you know, on a regional state line basis, as well as that, like, you know, a company local basis to make sure that we have those opportunities that they're meaningful, that they, um, you know, uh, equip the individual to acquire the right skills and put them on a path to, you know, permanent employment in those industries. So um, we have two kind of, uh, and I'm kind of going on in length here, we have two um, programmatic things that we're looking to roll out that support both the work and learn space specifically, as well as kind of the general, you know, talent resource navigation um, side of the house. And, 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 the, and those are the two things that we're, um, looking to roll out in earnest over the next several months. Well, so you touched on one of these things. So, so go back to the work and learn. I yep. think that that is sort of a, a re-engagement, reimagining, rebranding of what had uh, once been Indiana Internet. So, talk about the work and learn Indiana and where you're going with that. Sure. Well, um, as I said, uh, Indiana Internet has existed in some form for you know a couple decades now. Um, but the, the focus, as was historically the focus in, in, in work and learn programs, was with college students. Um, and, uh, you know, it, Indian Internet grew to be the, you know, the largest, you know, matching marketplace for those types of opportunities. But I think what we've learned, and um, certainly the pandemic, like many other things, has, has even raised the visibility, is there's a lot more opportunity and need beyond just the, the college space. And that's both starting earlier with students and, you know, as early as the high school age. But also thinking more broadly about you know um, who could potentially use these uh, a work and learn or work based learning type experience. And when I say I'm talking about internships and apprenticeships and co ops, things of that nature that you know allow someone to you know not sequentially learn and then apply, but learn and apply at the at the same time. And what we observed is the name Indian Internet was limiting um, uh, in so much as 
if it had a connotation, it was with internships. And I think people tend to think of internships as more of a, you know, traditional two-year, four-year college type thing. So that, that was, that was problematic, both in terms of the populations that, it, you know, the, the assumption would be that we were working with, but also the models that we were being supported. So through this rebrand from what was any internet to now work and learn Indiana, we're really looking to expand in both directions, both in terms of the populations we serve, as I said, not walking away from the college student population, but I'm um, looking to get much more deeply engaged earlier with, you know, um, high younger students, particularly at the high school age, but also looking more broadly to, you know, how can we leverage work-based learning opportunities um, to, you know, support career-changing adults or those from the military. I mean, there's various disadvantaged populations out there that the federal government um, has identified and even provides tax credits to employers who hire those individuals, whether that be, you know, individuals with mental or physical disabilities, whether it be the formerly incarcerated, et cetera. Um, and sometimes, you know, we know employers can be a little risk adverse when taking on, you know, a potential employee that might be outside of, you know, their, their typical talent pool they draw from. But we think that this is another one of those strategies that might be a little bit lower barrier to entry um, for the individual as well as the employer. And, you know, we just want to make sure that we're doing our part um, to, to kind of address that need. Um, if I could give a quick commercial for one of the things that we do um, in partnership with the state through what is now Work and Learn Indiana is um, we, we, uh, we facilitate connection to the state's work study program, which is called Earn Indiana. And is, uh, traditionally, much like uh, um, the internet itself, that um, fund was limited to college-age students. And what that means for employers is, in effect, if an employer were to hire a low-income student who was earn eligible, which is how they would be eligible, um, they would, if they provided an internship-type opportunity to that individual, the state will pick up in a, up to 50% of that um, individual's wages. So you know, if an employer was paying 10 bucks an hour, um, it would cost um, the employer $5 an hour with the goal being, you know, we want to create an incentive for employers to, to um, hire individuals from a low-income background who, you know, realistically speaking, probably don't have the same you know, professional network that, that somebody from a more advantaged background would have. Um, that's all long-winded context for we saw legislation, legislative change that is, is basically taking effect in the now term that would expand that opportunity to um, high school age students as well. And so, you know, we're looking at this kind of as a lift all boats strategy that, you know, it's an incentive for employers to get, to get engaged earlier and bring down the cost for doing so, but also give a leg up to, you know, low income 21st century scholar type students um, to put them on a path to, you know, um, you know, a, a career or an industry where there's a lot of need, but there's also a lot of opportunities. So um, we're getting ready to roll out a grant opportunity, working with the, you know, a handful of communities across the state to really build this out and scale it out at the high school level with the goal of you know, expanding statewide in the next um, you know, year or so. Um, so just a, a quick commercial for, to kind of put something on the radar for, you know, economic development professionals out there that are thinking about, you know, all the tools in the toolbox and ways that we can start, you know, building out or expanding our, you know, current talent pool. We think, you know, getting engaged early and often is one way to do so. And, um, you know, if this, um, if this funding support can provide an additional incentive to get you know, more employers engaged in that regard, we think we think all the better. So that's kind of what we have going on in that arena. Yeah, I don't know if this is an extension of related, but then you also have a program called Engage Mentoring. Yes. Um, so, 
one of the things that we're going to be, you know, this is actually a really great tie-in to uh, the other big programmatic thing that we have going on, which is this creation of this resource that we call the Talent Resource Navigator. But um, it, it's sort of an early adopter. We're looking to form partnerships with, um, you know, partners or vendors, for lack of a better term, that, you know, provide services that are aligned to um, our, our employer need and our, our members' needs. And one that we've, we've, we've recognized as, um, you know, a, a good strategy, both on the attraction and retention um, uh, side of the house with, with employees, but also from a diversity, equity, inclusion perspective is mentoring, right? Um, and I don't think it's a, that tough of a sell um, for, uh, you know, an employer to recognize that, you know, having, you know, a robust men uh, mentoring strategy probably is going to pay some dividends, but how to go about doing that in a scalable way could be a challenge. So one of the partnerships we've, we've formed is with a group called Engage Mentoring that provides sort of a turnkey um, mentoring platform that's you know, largely um, web or, or phone-based, but allows makes it pretty easy for employers to um, both identify individuals within their company that you know, they would want to be either serve as a mentor or be a mentee, but it also allows them to connect with individuals from outside the company as well. So you know, particularly for a company that's um, you know, trying to become more, you know, have a more diverse um, staff and talent pool, but just isn't there yet. This allows them to leverage, um, you know, uh, professionals outside of the four walls of their business as well, but it makes it easy to schedule, makes it easy to focus on particular skill areas. And, you know, this is one of those things that we're you know, moving forward. If there's a, a program or service out there that's free, um, we want to make it available to um, as many employers as possible free if there's a charge as there is for an, uh, um, engaged mentoring you know we'd like to negotiate some sort of um, you know benefit to you know chamber members from the employer community in this case um, we provide a um, we've negotiated a, uh, a discount for any chamber member that decides to avail themselves of this um, mentoring uh, service or incorporating what they're doing, um, they can do so at a discount um, if, they're, if they're a chamber member. Again, not trying to limit it to chamber members. You know, that's not kind of our strategy moving forward. You know, we really want, if there's a best practice or a program or partner that can support that best practice, um, we want to make that you know, but more widely known and more accessible. But if, if somebody's collecting a fee on the other end, I mean, you know, we'd like to negotiate a, um, a cost break for our members or some sort of, you know, revenue share or referral free fee for us to, you know, help sustain, you know, our internal um, programming here at the chamber as well. I, I don't know if there's anything else you want me to add related to engaged mentoring, but they are one of those, um, you know, early adopter partners that, that we hope to be working with more of um, over the next several months. Okay. So I think one of the things that, that I've certainly heard Kevin Brinegar talk about on numerous occasions uh, is the impact, the cost, the, the long-term challenges that the wellness of our Indiana workforce brings to, to the cost of doing business. Uh, and I think that the chamber has been a leader in trying to advance that discussion over time. And so I see that one of the elements of the uh, uh, Institute for Workforce Excellence is the Wellness Council of Indiana. Uh, so talk about uh, why and then what the Wellness Council of Indiana is trying to accomplish under that workforce banner. Sure. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. and You, you kind of gave a, a perfect uh, uh, summary 
um, you know, one, we know that um, unfortunately, Hoosiers are not the, the healthiest uh, population on the planet. And one of the one of the areas is that you know, we have a pretty high smoking rates. And that's one thing that we as a chamber have worked really hard on. Um, unfortunately, we haven't gotten there yet with the Indian General Assembly, but you know, we have one of the lowest tax rates for you know tobacco products in, in the country. Um, you know, I think there's been a reluctance on the part of the legislature um, to increase that significantly, in part because I think they're you know, from, as Kevin talks about, they're viewing it more from a revenue um, perspective than they are from a smoking or tobacco cessation perspective, which from, from our perspective, that's exactly what it is. You know, um, anything we can do to deter people from, you know, engaging in these uh, you know, products that, that are you know, going to have likely devastating impacts to the individual, but also to our workforce. You know, we know that um, not to pick on smokers for a second, but I'm going to, um, you know, that, you know, they tend to have some of the higher healthcare costs. They tend to have, you know, some of the, um, you know, larger uh, absentee rates. And so, you know, that that's something in partnership with the um, Alliance for Healthy Indiana that we really kind of beat that drum that, you know, the, the General Assembly, as much as there's a tendency to think about this as something that we'll do later, we'll really need the money. This is something we really need to do now as, you know, one among many strategies to um, bring down our healthcare costs, which we know, are among the higher in the country based on some some um, research that's been done. So that's one. Anything and everything we can do related to you know helping Hoosiers be healthier, um, and uh, we'll continue to beat that drum with the hopes that the Indiana General Assembly will you know take a more proactive stance in that particular arena. Another area under the Wellness uh, Council umbrella um, that we've uh, made gotten a fair amount of traction and, and a, a fair amount of um, public. Uh, recognition for is um, issues related to workforce recovery uh, with individuals you know, struggling with, you know, substance abuse, opioids, et cetera. Um, and we've seen a, a, in part due to, to um, our awareness and education efforts, a, a pretty dramatic um, decrease in the number of employers who, if they had a drug testing policy, had kind of a one strike, you're out policy, which we know um, uh, has uh, implications, certainly for the individual, but also for the employer in terms of you think about all the money they invest in a given employee. And if it's, you know, one strike, you're out, um, you know, if nothing else, there's a lot of, um, you know, expenses they're not going to get back in terms of, you know, training and development, et cetera. And what we've seen, and this is kind of a through line for, you know, related things that we're um, trying to do through the Institute is, you know, if the employer is part of that conversation in a productive way, the, um, the, likelihood for a successful outcome for the individual are so much higher. So if you think about somebody who is, you know, grappling with some form of, you know, substance abuse, if the employer is part of the solution in terms of helping them, you know, get the, the, the support and help they need, the likelihood that person would, you know, um, be able to, to, to kick that issue and, and not have that be a long-term issue is much, much higher. Likewise, to kind of try and bring it full circle on the education training front, we know that if an employer is part of that equation in terms of providing the encouragement or the flexibility or even the expectation that individuals avail themselves of you know, opportunities to skill up or, or reskill, the likelihood that they actually will follow through on that and, and, and complete that training or earn that credential are much, much higher. So I think what we're looking at, just to kind of take a big picture for a second, the extent that we can help employers figure out you know, how they can plug in in a productive way to kind of guide their employees to, um, you know, uh, to get skilled up or to get the support they need, you know, that's going to certainly have great, pay great dividends for the individual, but it's also going to pay dividends for the employer in terms of, 
you know, a more uh, productive or a healthier or, um, you, know, you know, more likely to be retained and not, you know, um, out of the picture uh, workforce. And so those are kind of some things that we've been doing and are continuing to do. I don't, I don't have the, um, the statistics on the top of my head, but um, our wellness council team has done countless trainings on, you know, best practices in regard, resources that are available, including that, I'm not gonna remember the name of it, but that, was it Narcan or Narcol, a drug that, you know, somebody is experiencing, you know, an opioid addiction that could be administered in the near term or bring them out. So really, as much as employers might not want to be in that position, it's a position they find themselves in in some cases. So making sure that we're equipping them with, um, you know, the right resources, the right support, so they could, you know, be a value added um, for their employees in that regard, as well as for their own business. Okay. And so uh, one of the last things then that uh, is listed under the Institute for Workforce Excellence is achieve your degree. Yeah, this is a partnership that we've had um, with Ivy Tech Community College um, for a while. We're actually in conversation with them about how we might be able to expand it and do it at a bigger level, but in effect um, offers a tuition rebate or discount. They technically don't like you to call it a discount, but uh, it's a rebate for um, uh, individuals. Um, uh, we, we negotiated a, a, a discount for chamber member companies um, for their their, um, their employees that would go back through and get skilled up in, in some area of working towards a, a degree or certificate for that matter. And this is a partnership we've had in place for Ivy Tech for a while. It's been you know warmly received um, and one that we're looking to expand. You know, um, if I could take this big picture for a second, you know, I think there's often an assumption um, among businesses, particularly small and mid-sized businesses, that you know they just don't have the same ability to you know, um, you know either have a coherent talent development strategy, or let alone implement that talent development strategy. And what we're seeing is there's examples of companies that um, have done a really good job of being intentional and kind of threading together. And sequencing in, in, a, in a or packaging, um, in a, in a, for lack of a better word, um, existing programs and resources that are out there, and kind of doing it um, for for their company. And an example that I've used ad nauseum, but I think it's a, it's a it's a good example for like what might be possible is um, I assume many of your uh, listeners have, are aware of Cook Group. They've got a lot of well-deserved attention for their My Cook Pathways program, and you know they're not shy about admitting that in the grand scheme of things, they're not spending that much money um, of their, or their own money. Um, in effect, what they're doing is they're, you know, leveraging, connecting um, resources that are available either in their community at their state level. So what I mean by that, I mentioned the Next Level Jobs Program. They're using, you know, that in partnership with Ivy Tech to get people either, you know, a high school equivalency or a certificate or an associate degree. Um, you know, they're they're working in conjunction with Goodwill Industries and other people on the ground. And we think that's a, a relatively transferable playbook um, to other businesses, including businesses that aren't as well-resourced or well-known as like a Cook Group or a Cummins or a Subaru. But that's not to say that um, that approach isn't doable in many cases for you know a smaller mid-sized business that, realistically speaking, doesn't have a team of HR professionals to over oversee these programs or develop them from scratch. And, you know, but I think our message increasingly is um, not only do you not have to develop these things from scratch, but it, 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 it's not a cost-effective approach. Like, let's take what's out there, put it together in a you know a more seamless or coherent way, and that's going to create opportunities for the for the company as well as for, for the individual. And that's you know kind of what we're looking to do: taking these existing partnerships we already have, adding more to them, um, and 
and walking employers through a process by which they can sort through and filter what's out there that's most tailored to meet their uh, particular um, workforce development needs. And I will say that um, I did do a podcast uh, with Nikki James from Cook talking about um, my Cook pathway and talking about the program that they put. So um, um, it's good that you mentioned that. And uh, I'll do a reminder for the folks who are listening yeah. that uh, they can go back and listen to uh, the podcast on my Cook pathway to better understand uh, at a little bit more detailed level, how they structured that. And you're right. Uh, when they talked about that, it was about the fact that it was, it was very low cost to, uh, to cook group. It was just a matter of a number one, them being sensitive to their workers needs and, and scaling a program to meet the workers needs at the workers level. And then really just knowing how to assemble the resources uh, that were already available to help accomplish what what both the company and the employees needed. So so that's a perfect lead-in, uh, and of course you planned it this way, Jason. That's a that's a perfect lead-in to talk about uh, the next initiative that you all are getting ready to launch, uh, and that's the Talent Resource Navigator, because I think you've alluded on a, on a, you've talked about this a little bit previously, but I think you've alluded to that there are lots of programs, there are lots of, of uh, tools that are available, and it's very difficult for employers who have other things to do, like run their business, right. to really be able to, to navigate, to understand, to be able to assemble uh, uh, many of the tools that are available. So talk about, as you are getting ready to launch the Talent Resource Navigator, what is it, how is it gonna work? Sure. Well, thank you, Lee, for that. Yes, um, you know, we think that this is certainly it's not a it's not a silver bullet. Nothing is in this space, but we think that we're well positioned. And the research we've done over the last you know several months, talking to anybody and everybody that's in the workforce development space, that one this is absolutely an issue. That that's that's come through loud and clear. Is that um, employers either, and I'm, I'm repeating myself, but just as a reminder to, to those who may have nodded off early on in this podcast when I was talking earlier, is that, you know, there's so much out there and there's more out there all the time. And, you know, how does an employer who, they, you know, job one is running their businesses, you rightly said, how do they go about navigating that? And um, what we've endeavored to do is we're standing up a new tool that we call the Talent Resource Navigator. It's really it's, it's web-based in so much as that, you know, it'll be available online 24-7, but we're also, we've committed to hiring, you know, a couple staff um, full-time who day-to-day, this will be their primary job, which is, you know, um, connecting with employers, talking to them, helping, understanding what their pain points are in terms of, you know, uh, talent or, or workforce development and giving them a, a curated menu or list of recommendations, if you will, of, you know, either uh, programs they should get connected with, partner area partners or providers they should get connected with or just you know best or promising practices that they could they could um, model that could be supported by these uh, partners and programs and so you know really the aspiration here is for you know think of it as a combination uh amazon uh everything uh, workforce store meets you know angie's list in terms of you know be available to anybody and everybody who is interested in maximizing you know the potential of the workforce but we're not really here to create or even house any resources. Rather, we want to be an aggregator and a connector and a facilitator for those who've got an identified talent need 
and you know partners, providers on the other end um, that uh, you know are prepared to help them you know take the next step. And so, what that looks like in practicality is you know um, a web resource that we're, we plan to launch in the first quarter of, of next year. Um, we're in the process of building it right now. That, as I said, um, will in a, in a systematic way. Um, help winnow down what's out there, um, you know, whether it be at a state level or a regional level, whether it be um, in a particular industry or a particular, you know, area of focus, winnow that down to um, what is the most relevant to that employer or that organization that's working alongside employers, you know, with, with the goal being that, you know, if we can kind of, you know, shrink that universe into something that's, you know, concrete, tangible, and actionable, um, that will help an employer kind of connect to the resources that are most aligned with their needs. And that's going to have you know, the effect of, um, as you said, and, and kind of the philosophy of the, you know, the, the cook program, which is this isn't solely about you know, helping businesses you know, be more productive or, or you know, increase their profit margins or their bottom line. But we think that that will be an outcome of this, but this is really about what's, as you rightly said, what's good for the employer, what's good for the employee and how can we lift all boats? And part of what our job will be is, you know, um, doing that scan of what's out there in terms of practices, partners and programs, putting it together in a, you know, intuitive, navigable way and providing, you know, a warm introduction, if you will, or connection to folks on the other end, um, you know, in terms of providers that can, you know, help that, that, that employer or that organization um, take the next step. And we're going to have, you know, uh, staff that will be hiring, you know, later this year, they'll kind of be there to, to, to walk um, employers through that, 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 that um, process, because we recognize no matter how intuitive or well-designed, you know, uh, a website is, for lack of a better term, um, it's probably not going to be sufficient. And there's going to have to be, you know, some, some, some conversations and some, some handholding to, you know, get an individual from where they are, from where they need to be. And so in a nutshell, that's, that's what we're going to be doing is, you know, um, uh, you know, doing an inventory of, you know, what are the practices and programs, potential partners out there developing a, you know, a quality rubric, um, for lack of a better uh, term that, you know, around, you know, what is it repeatable? Is it scalable? Is it high quality? Is there evidence that, um, an individual or employer has taken advantage of this program or service and benefit from it. And how can we take that information and feed it back, as I said at the outset of this discussion, to the, you know, the, the partners or programs that they're in that ostensibly are trying to engage with employers or trying to meet employer needs, but we know that, that feedback loop isn't always as um, strong or coherent as we would like it to be. So um, in terms of timeline, as I said, we spent the, the first part of this year um, really talking to anybody and everybody that's active in the space, both employers, um, you know, regional chambers, other local economic development groups, uh, talking to folks in the education sector, from the government sector, et cetera. As I said, one, validating this is a need. Yes, it is. Two, validating whether or not we as a statewide chamber were well positioned um, to, to kind of serve in this facilitator intermediary capacity. And the short answer, um, uh, much to our delight, was, was yes. As it turns out, I don't know if this will be a surprise to you and your, your listeners, uh, Lee, um, outside of their own internal training apparatus, employers tend to look to their professional associations as kind of their go-to resource for you know what programs or services they should avail themselves of, which is not to say they necessarily look to the Indiana Chamber or even chambers generally, but um, it's within kind of the wheelhouse of the types of organizations and associations they look to, and we want to work with any and all uh, related associations, organizations that they're working with to make sure that we're providing good 
actionable information and connections, warm introductions, if you will, um, to folks that can kind of help an employer take, take that next step. And so, as I said, we're in the build phase right now. We hope to have that, what folks in the tech world call the MVP, or the minimum viable product by the end of this year, early next year, with the goal of it launching that, that MVP product um, in, the, in the first quarter of next year. And then we'll just keep iterating and enhancing and fine tuning it as we learn more, as the system gets smarter, as we look at ways that we can automate functions and, you know, draw um, connection points between, you know, if an employer or organization has, you know, struggled um, with, you know, X and Y, it's likely they, they might um, uh, uh, have a similar need with, with respect to Z. Similarly, if you've taken advantage of, you know, program A or B, there stands to reason you might benefit from program C. And so, um, you know, coming out of the gate, we're going to kind of manage expectations a little bit. We're not going to be able to solve everyone's problem. Um, but we can at least, you know, develop a process and um, and kind of a, a systematic approach to, you know, how can we take those isolated successes that we know are out there and not make them so isolated, not make them, you know, limited to a given company or community or industry. But, you know, how can we find those um, you know, strategies and practices that, you know, are replicable, are scalable, just folks don't have, you know, uh, there's gaps in terms of their understanding or internal capacity on, on how to go about, you know, standing that up. And that's where we think as, you know, the, the state's largest non-sector specific or industry specific um, business association that, you know, we can go a long way towards kind of helping raise the visibility of what's out there, what's working and kind of get people connected to it. But again, um, this is by no means something that we're looking to do on our own. You know, we think that, you know, um, we can, um, be a support or service to related, um, uh, what I call employer adjacent entities. Think about, you know, local, local workforce investment boards, local chambers. Um, I assume your, um, uh, Lido's, um, I assume your, uh, uh listeners are aware of the, um, they call the Indiana talent network, you know, this you know, group of intermediaries around the state, whether it be, you know, ROI, uh, down at the, you know, the uplands area or, you know, um, like in the, you know, Echo in the in the, um, in the Columbus area or Horizon Education Alliance up in Elkhart, there are these intermediary type organizations that are already trying to connect these dots between education, educators, and employers, and you know the the the, the public sector generally. Um, we think this could be a resource for those groups as well because one of the things that came through loud and clear is that the employer community really wants to plug in and connect with what's available locally in their backyard, but Sometimes they don't have the wherewithal to know how to go about doing that. So um, we think this is, might be as much about, you know, making smooth handoffs or connections to um, folks in, in people's own backyard as, as it is getting them connected to, you know, state level or, uh, you know, resources or programs. So um, that, that's in a nutshell what we're trying to do. Hopefully that made some sense. <laughs> yeah. And as I, I think when we talked about this earlier, um, I think when you're ready to launch, I think we would love to have an opportunity uh, to provide some training and orientation to the to the local economic developers who, as they are making their business retention and expansion calls, I think if they understand the model and are able to uh, help direct employers uh, yep. to that navigator resource, I think we can we can certainly, going back to one of your earlier themes, I think that's a good partnership opportunity for our two organizations. 100% uh, agree. And I, I, should, I should say, um, we're in related conversations with uh, the IEDC because I think, to their credit, they're recognizing that you know, so much energy goes in on the front end to you know wooing a business here, put together that package. But like 
what's that next step look like in terms of how can you support these businesses once they're here, once they expand. Um, and so, you know, we're looking to do this in partnership with them, but what a hundred percent welcome um, engagement with you and, and your constituents. And we'll even be looking for some early adopters in that kind of alpha beta test type uh, phase. So um, maybe reaching out to you, Lee, in the, in the months ahead to see if they're, um, you know, members of, of your constituency that uh, might want to dip their toe in a little early. Um, but beyond that, certainly we'll want to come back to you when, you know, we, we've got something tangible to, 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 to show you all. But if, you know, if we're not building this to meet others' needs, then we're not really building anything that's worthwhile. So the more that we can, you know, um, clarify those needs in the front end, the, the better from our perspective. So appreciate that opportunity. Okay. Jason, I really appreciate you taking time uh, to go through all of this today. Uh, I think this has been helpful and will be helpful to our members. Uh, Jason Bierce is the Vice President of Education and Workforce Development for the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. He's been talking today uh, about the Institute for Workforce Excellence and a number of initiatives that the Indiana Chamber has related to workforce. Uh, Jason, again, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Lee, and thank you for uh, everyone in your association, what you're doing. But I know you all are engaged in related challenges and related efforts, and so I um, really appreciate your partnership. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, take care. You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for the members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This is Lee Llewellyn, and whether it sounds like it or not, I really am trying to be a lot less annoying on these podcasts. Uh, This podcast is copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Not sure anybody else would want them.